We're going to read verses 18 through 27. If you have one of the uh, Bibles that we have here, it's in page 944. So go ahead and find that, and I'm going to read it for us. And as we read, remember, we are reading God's Word. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is God's word. You can be seated. Well, good morning, Redemption Gateway. Morning. morning. Was Matthew's uh, getting me that table? Uh, My name's Tyler Johnson. I am the lead pastor of Redemption Church. As Matthew said, we are now at seven congregations. You guys can pray for us uh, because one of the things Redemption is all about is raising up leaders at all levels that we might create more churches. We believe that the local church is extraordinarily strategic in God's economy of carrying forth his love for the world and showing the world that. And we have potentially two to three more things in the docket of that could come to fruition in congregations. So I'm going to ask you guys to pray towards that as we seek to raise up those leaders and the leaders of Redemption Church at large seek to discern the opportunities. But one thing I also want to share with you that isn't directly applicable to you all at Gateway, but it is applicable to you as a part of the Redemption family. Today, Redemption Alhambra, our newest congregation, is celebrating an absolute work of the Lord. We received a call some months back when we knew God was calling us to be right around 27th Avenue in Indian School, and I got a phone call from a small congregation uh, that had a lot of property to which they said, we think God may be bringing us to a point of recognizing that um, gospel ministry is not done here, but somebody may better utilize this property. And so today, Redemption Alhambra is celebrating a church right in that area, 19th Avenue in Glen Rosa, in between um, what is Indian School and Camelback that is literally giving us their entire property to carry forth gospel work there. So that's a huge deal. 
That is a huge deal, as Luke said on the video, uh, gospel outposts. Uh, buildings are not in and of themselves e- essential. You don't have to have them, but they are incredibly productive to the carrying forth of gospel work, and there's no telling what God will do through that property. So today, we are in Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 27. Pray with me as we engage this passage. Father, you tell us that Christ comes to us clothed in the Scriptures. Uh, We ask that we would be formed and shaped, that as we open these pages or open apps on our phone, that we would realize that these words were never meant to just stay upon us, but that we as the church are called to be the light of the world. God, empower us to do so. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we just got over Valentine's Day, right? Happy Valentine's Day to you all. Hope you guys had a, a great time. My kids get Valentine's for Valentine's Day, and any time there is a gift, even somewhat of a gift involved, there is eager anticipation for that gift. And my youngest son, who's actually the second oldest of the family, I have four kids, two boys at the top, two girls at the bottom, but Yale's six, he is a very eager, curious child. So as we closed the door Friday night to his room, and he knew, I'm sorry, on Thursday night, and he knew the next day was Valentine's Day, as we closed the door, he had the moment where he would kind of open the door and get on his toes to peer around the door to see if there was any Valentines out there that he could see. He couldn't see them, so he went to bed that night. Haley told me the next morning that Yale was tiptoeing around the house at 3 a.m., looking for his valentines, to which he found them, came in the room, and he said, Mom, and he woke her up, I just want to thank you for my valentine, to which my wife said, thank you for being thankful, but I'm not thankful for you waking me up at three in the morning, so go back to bed. Kids do that. They tiptoe in eager anticipation, looking for good things, but eager anticipation Almost being on your tiptoes looking for something doesn't always apply to just the sweet things like a valentine. The reality of people that are in a hospital that tiptoe, looking over in eager anticipation the word from a doctor. Or the mother whose daughter who's been struggling tremendously that leaves the house and hour goes and hour goes and the mom's on her tiptoes in anticipation of will my daughter return. Or the son who's eagerly awaiting the return of his father from Afghanistan or from Iraq. Suffering creates a context in which we are on our tiptoes in eager anticipation that something right, something good might come out of all of this. This passage that we're in today says, in fact, all of creation is on its tiptoes in eager anticipation. Now think of that for a minute, because many of you, when you hear the word creation, you begin to think just about the trees or the Grand Canyon. But when God created all things in Genesis chapter 1, and we see it happen in Genesis chapter 2, it's literally everything. It is the trees. It is the Grand Canyon. It is the tigers and it's the birds. It is human beings and it is all that human beings create out of how God created them. So it is well as 
it's as well institutions, organizations, the things that the creation makes is encompassed in creation, in all of creation, all of life, all of human life, all of the animal life, all of the things that we can see, all of the things that we can't see, sit on its tiptoes in eager anticipation, eager expectation, because all of creation is under the weight of sin. Suffering is in the world. Suffering creates expectation, we said. Suffering is in the world because of sin. And there's different ways that we can think about suffering and we can think about sin. There is first just a weight of the reality of sin being in the world. Right? The reality of sin just being in the world that creates this entropy, if you will, kind of this second law of thermodynamics where everything is dying. Energy is going away from everything. As a woman puts on makeup in the morning, there's this desire to recapture the color that they had when they were an infant, right? As we go to the gym, we're trying to work against the rule of time that there is a going away of the energy of our body, right? Even if you lead an organization or you lead a family, you know that the inertia, the movement is to take it away from that which is good. That's the reality that sin and death are in the world. We'll just say that's the weight of sin. Then there's the weight of other people's sin. And this can be that they're doing harm to them, their own selves, but you love them so deeply that mother who loves her daughter so deeply and her daughter's gotten caught up in the wrong crowd and as she exits that door, you feel the weight of her sin. And then at times it directly applies to you. That daughter has now become addicted and needs your care and your concern and you feel the weight of that other person's sin. The weight of other people's sins can be like that or it can be an, as active and as aggressive as somebody slitting someone's throat because they speak of Jesus around the world. Blood being spilled, martyrs being born because of the weight of other people's sins. And then there's the weight of our sin. This weight that these, this fact that there's voices inside of you and these things that you do, that you actively do, that you wish you wouldn't have done, or the consequences of that which you did. That's the weight of our own sin. So there's the weight of sin, the fact that it's in the world, the weight of other people's sins, and the weight of our sins that create suffering and that make us groan. In Romans chapter 8, this groaning is spoken of. It's laid out. Paul talks about three different groans. He says creation's groaning, we're groaning, and God is groaning. The creation is groaning, that we are groaning, and that God is groaning. We're going to look at all three of those, but before we do, I just want to tell you about this word, groan. This word groan is literally out of suffering, a groaning that is born out of the context of suffering in which you are communicating pain and you're hoping for relief. You're communicating bondage in your groan and you're awaiting salvation. That's the groaning in which we see. So Romans chapter 8, 
Starting in verse 18, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing, tiptoed expectation for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of God's creation, we said this, all of life's dynamics is under the curse of sin. All of it. And all of it is groaning. This past week, I saw a picture on Facebook. And someone had put up a, a dog rescue center. Or a, a, some people would call it a kennel. Um, but there was a dog in there. And all it was was a picture of the back of the dog facing the back of the kennel like this. And it said, this dog will not turn around for anybody. As people now walk by, the dog just faces the back. And the people that have been in the kennel said that it hadn't always been like this, but the dog had eager expectation at a point. Nothing ever came through, and the dog now just sits with his face to the back of the kennel. I don't know if you guys know this, but there are stories about orphanages around the world, many of them, where the children do not cry. That when people go to potentially rescue some of these orphans out of the bondage of being an orphan and living in this orphanage, that they'll walk in and they say one of the most eerie things about the orphanage is that kids don't cry. And again, they'll say, why is that? But because time and time again, people have come in to no avail, so now they don't even cry that when there's that many kids in a room, children cry seeking for comfort and nobody can come because there's too many kids. So what they determine is let them learn to comfort themselves so they don't cry. Groaning's different than that. Groaning is two things. It is the communicating of pain, but the fact that you groan communicates hope an expectation, a desire. A child cries because they might be in pain and they're crying out for a comforter. They're crying out for a rescuer. So creation, as it's groaning, is groaning because it's in pain under the weight of sin, but at the same time, it's groaning because creation knows and believes there is a rescuer. Creation has not yet, think about when sin entered into the world. It's been groaning, the passage says, from the very beginning that sin was inflicted upon it until now. That's a long time, and it's never stopped groaning. It never got to the point of that dog in the kennel where it went, I'm hopeless. Creation itself is under pain and in, is under weight but at the same time has hope that there is something else out there. Creation is in bondage. There's a poet right now who actually writes music. Musicians and songwriters like to be known as, as poets. 
and he has written this poem or song called Economy. I, I absolutely love it. And this is the first part of the song. The author says this, raise your voice, chase away the ghosts, the pain that haunts a heart, the things that we fear the most. Listen to him speaking about the reality of weight, the reality of suffering, the reality of pain. He says, the pain that haunts a heart, the things we fear the most, the entropy of life, the slow decay of time that wars against our bones. And everybody over 40 says, amen. <laughs> that wars against our bones. All these sinking ships are ruled against the wave. See what he talks about? These ships that are sinking are ruled against the wave. The raging of the tide, the tyranny of days. Now, unless you're six and under, and depending even then, the context that you live under, every human being, regardless of what you believe, if you're sitting in this room, you could look at all of this, the songs that we're singing right now, and go, this is such garbage. You may even go, it feels corny. But you know this, there is a tyranny of days. Whatever you believe, there's a reality that these days have a tyranny and you're trying to work against it. You're trying to mitigate it. You're trying to hold it off. You're trying to make it better. Think about this. Even if you're a boss, you know about the tyranny of days and the entropy of life because you're trying to hold your organization together. No presidency, no administration, no organization. The ones that you knew of 40 years ago don't exist today. This is reality. And then in your own life, your family, you're trying to hold it together. There is a tyranny of days. He then says this, and sleep would chase us down. Sleep would chase us down. Sleep would have us stay, have its way. Sleep would chase us down. Sleep would have its way. And night would fall upon us all. This author is getting at the fact that death is chasing us down. That's what he means by sleep and night. Death, not just physical death, but this reality that there is a force in the world because of sin that seeks to chase us down and have its way. And every one of us, regardless of our belief in here, feel it and know it. Now what's crazy is verse 20 of chapter 8 says that God allowed this to happen. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Now hear this. God somehow allowed sin to enter the world and he set it up in such a way that Adam and Eve, if you disobey me, if you buy the word of the enemy, that in the end, in dying, you will surely die, but not just you, but that all of creation will fall. If you choose to put the false voice, the voice of the enemy upon the throne, night will chase you down. Now think about the Lion King for a minute. How many of you have seen the Lion King? Raise your hand. Okay, it's a good Disney movie. It's a little bit getting older now, but watch it. There's this picture in Disney movies that you've, you've got to get and capture because it communicates a biblical truth so strongly. And it's this, when the good king, Mufasa, is on the throne, everything is bright. Everything is working harmoniously with one another. 
everything is treating itself, each other, justly. Then the bad king gets on the throne. And what does the scene look like? Somebody just tell me. When Scar now comes to the throne, what does everything look like? Dark. Everything's dark at that moment. God set this up in such a way that when sin entered the world, the world went dark. And we feel this tyranny, this reality, and yet inside of us, there are what Philip Yancey calls rumors of another world or rumors of a former world, that you're living in the midst of the tyranny of days knowing, man, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Regardless if you're a believer or unbeliever, your heart is testifying to a better reality. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says that God has set eternity, the way things should be inside the heart of every human being, that it's testifying to there is something better. And human beings chase after it continually. What is it? What is it? What is it? We try to make it happen. And even when we can't get it, and even when it just evades our grasp, it's still within us that you know it's there, even when you have yet to be able to grasp it. All of creation is groaning under the weight of this sin. But God intended it to feel like that so that we would hope, that all of creation would hope. For something better. That creation would be set free from bondage to obtain the glory of the freedom of the children of God. Now this is where it starts to get really interesting and you have to slow down if you want to understand Paul because it says all of creation. Okay, now hear me in this. That, just get this for a minute, church, because now we're going to talk to those of you in this room who do believe. That's what the Bible calls the church. He says all of creation, that means the physical environment, that means the tigers, the birds of the air, the waters of the sea, that means even human beings who are unbelievers, deep inside them are groaning that they might experience the glory and the freedom of the children of God. These are those moments, typically, when you're reading the Bible, that you're like, this is kind of out there. I'm going to pass this by to get to a point that seems a little more understandable. But slow down. Because what he's saying is that you and I have received an inheritance that he just spoke of. You all just heard about it last week. An inheritance that is so profound, that is so substantial, that creation is eagerly awaiting the day when you and I inherit that. When you and I get that, all of creation is groaning and awaiting that day. It's an expectant waiting. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. What's the pains of childbirth? Now think of this time, right? There was no epidurals. Okay, my wife's, all people have different philosophies on child rearing. My wife is one that's like, if, why would you not get one of these things? Right? But in this time, many women died because of childbirth. So this groaning was with 
death staring a woman in the face with no epidural, there was no numbing agent, there was no painkiller, and these women are screaming out groaning. And he says, those are the groans that creation is going through in this moment, the pains of childbirth that promises something better is coming. There is a baby being born. This means creation is groaning in eager anticipation that in the midst of this groaning, something's about to be given birth that is so far better than anything you and I could possibly imagine. That the greatest things you've ever experienced in life, you know those things in life when you sit there and you're like, I just experienced a slice of heaven. And at times it feels like a sliver, but at other times it feels like that was a healthy portion. I don't know if life could get better than that. And this passage says those are mere echoes, those slices of heaven that you've experienced here and now, whatever they might be, at the dinner table with your kids, at a Diamondbacks baseball game, at an ASU basketball game when they beat the University of Arizona. that even those are a mere echo of what is about to be born. That it's eager anticipation in the midst of the groaning of the tyranny of days, in the midst of the best of times, something better yet is coming and creation is waiting in eager anticipation of that day. Now, here's what the Bible calls that day. Resurrection. The Bible calls that day in its fullest form the fullness of resurrection because Jesus himself was resurrected from the dead and the Bible says that he was the first fruits of what was to come. That he was the first fruits, which means there's a whole lot more coming. Resurrection of the Son of God happened that ensures our resurrection and the creation's resurrection. Okay, this, let me just say this really quick, and I wish I could go off on this for a long time, but I can't. Resurrection is infinitely better than heaven the way many of us understand it. Okay, hear me when I say this. Many of us, if you think of heaven as like this disembodied existence, where you're kind of in the clouds and everything here that you experience the tyranny of days, you experience the tyranny of your body, and you begin to believe essentially what it is is more of Plato than it is the Bible, but essentially the body is the prison house of the soul. This whole world is going to burn up and go away. I've just got to get out of it. And you think, but I'm going to go there to this place, and I don't know totally what it looks like, but I'm certain spiritually it's better. Okay, hear me on this. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, resurrection is infinitely better than that. Resurrection is the here and now without sin. Think this. Here's an exercise for you as you leave today. Go to lunch today. Whoever you're with, just ask this question. What would this morning have looked like or yesterday have looked like if sin were not in the world? Journal it. Think about it. That's resurrection. the expectant waiting. So here's what that means. We live in a world where sin is present. But Lee, we live in a world where Jesus has come in his life, death, 
resurrection, ascension, and the sending of the Spirit that has brought forth the first fruits of this future world. He's brought it forth. So theologians call this the already and the not yet. The already means the kingdom from the future has come in, but it's not yet here. You live in the tyranny of days. That's the facts. But you live with hope. Because God sent his son Jesus into the world that one day soon he's coming back to bring forth resurrection, to root out all evil, to take Satan, sin, and death and all evil and put it under his feet and to bring forth the fullness of the new day. In the in-between time, we, as the people of God, are meant to live as salt and light, showing people This is the way, this is the truth, this is the life, this is what is to come. So what that means, here's a real tangible example, is you got to set your expectations correctly. You've got to know you live in a world of sin. Christians should never be the ones that just have a perma smile on and go, hey, all is good, everything's great. It is not. Everything is not great. There we live in a time of tremendous groaning. And too often, too many of us, when tragedy comes into our life or suffering comes into our life, we're surprised by it. And then we grieve it, and then we grieve that we grieve. We get saddened by it, and then we become sad that we're sad, and that leads to depression. Set your expectation. There's a most of the world stinks. Tragedy is going to come into your world. Suffering is going to come into your world. Set your expectations correctly. By that, here's what I mean. If you go to New York City, right, let's, let's do it this way. Today, if you leave, you go out into the lobby, and some man walks up to you as you're talking to somebody, and he has a short, kind of cut-off sleeve shirt on, and he puts his armpit in your face. Okay? You, what would you think? You'd be like, this is disgusting. What is this guy doing? There's a large lobby. There's people walking around. But why is it on a subway train in New York City, people's armpit hair is in people's faces and nobody flinches? (laughs) Because they expect it. It's just what it is. I'm on a subway in New York City. It is what it is. If you can live in this life and you understand you live in a world that's groaning, set your expectations so. That doesn't mean it still doesn't hurt to the deepest parts of who you are, but you set your expectations with hope. Okay, now he says that not only creation groans, but we groan. We groan, not only the creation, but we ourselves. Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. There's that word again that you should do a study on if you get a chance. The first fruits of the Spirit. We, now the we here is Christians. All of creation's groaning, but even we who know there's a better day coming, even we who have the promised Holy Spirit, even we that have experienced the abundant life that comes to Jesus, even we groan. Even we who understands the truth of all of this theology, who can set our expectations, even we groan inwardly, awaiting, eagerly awaiting, on tiptoed expectation for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Here's what this means. 
even if we believe, even if because of God's grace, he's called us unto himself and adopted us, we still live under this tyranny. We still love under this weight. We still live with the consequences of our own sin. We still live, even as Christians, with the weight of other people's sins. We still live with the weight of the reality of the world's sin. Amen? Right? We're not free from any of that. We still do as dumb of things as some people who don't believe do. We still experience the pain that other people experience, and at times even more because we choose to enter into other people's pain willingly because we're Christians. We even groan inwardly, and we eagerly await the day of resurrection, the day when our bodies will be restored. This full day of resurrection because we've been adopted, but are, we're waiting Like those kids in Ethiopia who've been adopted, but all the legalities say, wait, 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 and there's been promises given to them, there's been gifts being given to them, there's pictures in their cribs, but they're waiting the fullness of the time. That's us, eagerly awaiting the day that comes back. John knew this, that's why he says the word Maranatha in Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bring forth resurrection now, Jesus, come now. We groan under the weight. We, like creation, are under the pain, but we have hope of this day. Now, this is where I want to really drill in right now. The key part of this passage in application is hope. He then says in verse 24, we're eagerly awaiting the redemption of our bodies, verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Short note, don't have time to go into it. What's the hope in which we were saved by? The hope of resurrection. You're saved through your belief in the resurrection. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. This is our temptation all the time, is it not? God, just show me something. You're in the midst of suffering tremendously, and you're going, just take it away. Just, God, show me something. Give me a sliver of comfort. Give me a sliver of a a breath. Just let me relax for a minute. Show me a sign. If you can see it, it's not hope. Hope is a conviction, an assurance of the things that are not seen, of the things that are yet to come. And you go, Oh, that's nice. Like, I'd like something a little more tangible than that, right? That's easy for you to say as a Christian, like, keep believing for the things in the future that are going to happen, right? And then you're saying, oh, but I'll live in the real world. But let me challenge that for just a minute as we're coming to an end here. Let me challenge that for just a minute. If you have two people who are led into 12 months of hard manual labor, hard manual labor, The type of labor that you get two minutes in and you're going, this stinks. I don't think I can do this two more minutes. I can't get to four minutes. And they're telling me I've got to do it for 12 months. But to one of those people, you promise at the end of this, at the end of this 12 months of manual hard labor, you're going to get $15,000 a year for the next 10 years. What's that person going to do? 
This stinks. They're going to keep complaining. They're going to hoard every good thing that they can possibly get. They're going to think about themselves. They're going to think about quitting. They're going to be a miser consistently. They're going to be self-absorbed. They're going to be miserable, right? But if the other person, you said, do it for 12 months, you're guaranteed for the next 10 years to get $150 million a year. To one person, they're a miser and complaining. To the other person, they're doing the manual hard labor like this. We're at, what, we're at month what? Four? Oh, that's nothing. Man, it feels like it's been four days. Right? $150 million is coming my way. And then, when all of a sudden a good meal comes up, or somebody has some treasure that comes about, and somebody is trying to get it from them, they're like, take it, man. Enjoy it. Along with your $15,000 a year job when you're done, I'm getting $150 million at the end of this dog. It enables them to be selfless. It enables them to be content. It enables them to live life to the fullest. That in the midst of the pain, right then when they feel the pain, they go, just what Paul said, for I consider, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, that doesn't mean it's not hard. And this is where we get into God groaning. We're going to end with this. This is where we get into God groaning. Likewise, verse 26. Likewise, I know it's hard. I know it's hard to live in this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Church, listen to this. God knows what you're going through. He knows the anguish. He knows the tyranny. He knows the pain. He says, hope. For I'm giving birth to something way better. And in the midst of it, it isn't just about look forward to the future. Believe, believe, believe. He ministers to us now. So moms, as your child leaves and they're struggling and you don't know if they're going to come back dead or alive and you don't even know how to pray, God, the Holy Spirit, prays on your behalf with groanings that are too deep for your words. Kids, when you miss your dad who's overseas so bad and you don't know if he's ever going to come back and you don't even know how to pray and you don't even know if you want to pray, God prays on your behalf. His Holy Spirit prays on your behalf, making your needs known to the Father. As your body is breaking down or your family member's body is breaking down and they sit in the midst of that hospital, he prays for you. As you hear the call, Redemption Gateway, to crazy things, maybe the call to go to Turkey, to minister in a place that you might be killed and you go, I'm terrified of this. Maybe it's the call to adoption that Redemption Church is engaged in that's in your bulletin and you go, I'm scared to death. Would I ever foster those kids? Would I ever adopt those kids? And you're scared and you feel the weight of all the realities that can come with this and you don't even know how to pray. The Spirit prays on our behalf because of what Jesus Christ has done. In his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, all the promises come to us, and he pours forth his Holy Spirit upon his church, knowing that God the Holy Spirit prays for us 
on Christ's behalf and on our behalf. That is an empowering, empowering truth. We can live then in the midst of creation groaning, our own groaning, because we know that God is groaning on our behalf with the promise that better things are yet to come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, the reality that the Bible presents is so much true to our current experience. God, we feel tyranny. We feel weight. We feel anguish. But God, it is so glorious to know that you feel it as well and that you felt it in its fullest degree with your son on the cross and his victory purchased our freedom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Uh, thanks, Ty. Well, um, we want to respond.